On the back of the bulletin, you'll find uh, a phone number, mobile phone number, next to my name. Uh, and if you want to text through a question, please do. I haven't had too many questions in recent weeks. Don't let me get off lightly. Feel free to text through a question and I'll attempt to answer it at the end. What does rest look like to you? What image does the word rest bring to your mind? Perhaps it changes. Your, what you think about rest changes with age. If you're young, perhaps under 20, you might think, who wants to rest? I want to do things. You get into your 20s and 30s, perhaps you start to enjoy rest a little bit more. You start to appreciate it, especially if you maybe have children in your house. The thought of sleeping in uh, or just uh, having an unbroken night's sleep might be the kind of rest that you can imagine. But if you are busy at work, paying the bills, perhaps a mortgage, maintaining a house that you want to be the kind of place where you think you can rest. Um, but then again, paying for it, mowing the lawns, weeding the garden, all mean that very often you are too busy to rest in that house. Perhaps you get to my stage of life, 48 and a half years, Yes, 48 and a half years. And now that the children are reason at a, an age when they can reasonably uh, be able to look after themselves, not for too long, but, you know, for a little while, uh, you start to enjoy newfound freedoms that perhaps you haven't had for the last little while. And that's when every TV show starts to get their hooks into you, uh, like Better Homes and Gardens or The, the Block. Um, they give you ideas about how you can improve your home and make it a better place to rest in, you know, perhaps add a parent's retreat. Fortunately, I'm not tempted by such things. I cannot hammer a nail into a wall straight, so I won't be caught by any of that. But maybe, uh, maybe you take on the idea, think a renovation might be a good idea. Make your home a better place in which to rest. But then, of course, you need to add on to your mortgage. Or work longer or in a higher pressure job to pay for this. Rest can begin to feel a bit like a carrot that is dangling on the end of a stick. Always chasing it, but rarely, if ever, catching it. This stage of life continues until you begin to see a shining light off in the distance. Retirement. The great chance to truly rest. You finally get there age 60 or 65 or if it's my generation, we'll probably have to work to a 75. You get your gold watch and you think, here it is, my big chance to rest. But sadly, there are still more challenges robbing you of your chance of your well-earned rest. And talking to people who are retired, they tell me about the three Gs. The grandkids, the GP, and the grave. sad, isn't it? How and when and where will we ever get to rest? Rest is the big theme of Hebrews 3 and 4. And in this passage is a rather brilliant but a little bit technical bringing together of a number of biblical passages that talk about this theme of rest. We're going to look at four passages and they kind of relate to each other a bit like I brought this morning some Russian dolls. The four passages are a little bit like Russian dolls. There's a doll within a doll within a doll. And that's kind of how this passage in Hebrews 3 and 4 works. The first doll is Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. 
verse 2, which we find it referred to in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4, uh, where he says, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. God is into work and rest. At the very start of the Bible, after he made the world, God rested, and in doing so, he established a pattern for the people that he had set to work in the garden, which was at the very centre of his creation. And so from the second chapter of the Bible, this notion of rest becomes a word which in the whole remainder of the Bible really represents the time and place in which people can truly enjoy God's blessing in its fullness. Rest is the time and place in which people can truly enjoy God's blessing in its fullness. Now, one of the problems we have, I think, with uh, rest is that it can often be thought of in terms that are quite self-indulgent. We think of, of rest as something that happens in exotic and expensive locations. I don't know where that is. It looks pretty nice. There you go. That might be Greece or somewhere. My favourite exotic locations are ones that have dirty big golf courses stuck on them. Now, I think, you're, I think you might agree with me when I say that every holiday, every opportunity to rest is better in prospect than it is in reality. Opportunities for rest never seem to match the expectations that we have for them. But that is not God's rest. The rest that God has in store for us is not self-centred in, in its luxuriousness, but it is extravagant in its God-centeredness. Now the second passage, the second Russian doll, um, is another passage from Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Now if I asked you what the book of Numbers was about, even if you're reasonably familiar with the Bible, many might struggle. But one of the most significant moments of sin in Israel's history is recorded in Numbers 13 and 14. At a crucial moment in Israel's history, they are poised, about to enter the promised land. The land in which they would enjoy God's rest. And having conquered Pharaoh's army, God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. Now they were on the verge, on the very front doorstep of the land that he had promised way, way back to Abraham that his descendants would enjoy. So God says to Moses, send some spies into the land. They sent 12 spies. And they saw this wonderful land which was going to be theirs. Uh, but they also saw the people who lived there. Uh, that filled most of the spies with fear. And they came back uh, and told all the people, all is lost. The spies said, the land is good. It's just like God told us it would be. But the people there are fearsome. It is filled with fearsome people. And so the people respond in Numbers chapter 14. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, this moment of complete faithlessness capped off uh, what had been a journey of non-stop grumbling and complaining from Israel. 
And so God's punishment uh, was swift and it was very strong. That whole adult generation uh, that had failed to believe God, had failed to trust God. They would actually wander the wilderness for 40 years. They would die off. That complete adult generation would wander until they had all died. God would give the privilege of entering the land, not to them, but to their children. And so we come to the next Russian doll, the next passage within a passage here in Hebrews 3 and 4. It's Psalm 95. It's a song which is a reflection back on Numbers 13 and 14 and the rebellion that happened there, which itself is reflecting back on the notion of rest. And so in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, we read Psalm 95 being quoted. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now Psalm 95 was a song uh, written by David. Uh, Interestingly, the writer to the Hebrews says in verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says. Uh, But written by David some 400 years or so after the rebellion in the book of Numbers. And it's a call to Israel in David's day to act faithfully before God, to not harden their hearts like they did when they doubted God's love and power and ability to bring them in to the promised land, to not test God uh, with hearts that went astray, to not come under the judgment which they underwent, to be denied access into God's rest. Well, our fourth and final Russian doll is Hebrews 3 and 4 itself. Because in this passage, the writer is picking up on all the three previous passages, all the three other Russian dolls, and he does something with them which is absolutely striking. He picks up on the word today from Psalm 95. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 6. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest... And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, if I haven't totally confused you up to this point, here's the big idea. God's offer for rest was rejected back in the book of Numbers. That generation wandered around in the wilderness until they died. Only their children would enter the promised land. And then David uh, called upon Israel 400 years later to enter that rest that the older generation missed out on. But then the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says that today is today. But Psalm 95 was written a thousand years before the letter to the Hebrews was written. What he is saying is that the coming of Jesus means that the today of Psalm 95 is actually today. 
And not just the today when Hebrews was written, but it is still today. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What he's saying is this. Every day between Jesus' first coming and his return in the future to judge the world, every day is the today of Psalm 95. Jesus has come in order to offer us a better rest. The theme of Hebrews, as I mentioned last week, is Jesus is better. Or as I learned in Chinese Bible study last Sunday, Yesu Geng Hao. Did I get it right? Thumbs are, thumbs are going up, that's all right. You either, either got it right or you're being very kind. Yesu Geng Hao. Jesus offers us a better rest. Not just the, the rest of one Sabbath day in seven, one day off a week. Not the rest that was offered in the promised land in Israel or rest under King David or Solomon. Not even a rest of four weeks a year on a secluded and exotic beach or even the rest that is promised in retirement. But today, for as long as it is called today and every day until Jesus returns, we have the chance of entering God's eternal rest, his rest in heaven. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who believe, who have believed, enter that rest. Hebrews is full of warnings. And the warning here this morning is to not fall away. To not abandon Jesus. Now, we may feel a degree of weariness if you've been a Christian for some time. You may feel somewhat weary. As we go through life, our faith will go through different stages. Sometimes stages, those stages of life and of our faith, may have to do with events that we don't see coming. It may be perhaps a scare of some kind, a grief, or some kind of significant challenge. And these events may shape our faith and have positive or even negative uh, consequences on our faith. But sometimes our faith changes uh, and these things come simply with just living. I think that the experience of what is commonly called the midlife crisis uh, is one, I think, from which Christians are not immune. Maybe, uh, better than calling it a midnight, midlife crisis, maybe we should call it the midlife hump. You get to this point in life where you have a nagging sense that, well, this is as good as it gets. But I never actually thought it would be like this. Now, when does this come? I mean, not everybody experiences this. Does it, is it your 40, your mid-40s, late 40s, 50? I, I don't know. It, not everybody experiences something like this. Uh, is it more experienced by men than women? I don't know. But the more Christians I talk to and speak to honestly, and who talk honestly about their life, will 
we'll talk about this kind of midlife kind of hump. And the warning that we're hearing today is to press on towards the rest that will be enjoyed with God in heaven. To not give up on Jesus. To not trade him for anything. The other matter that is raised by this passage for us is the word of God as the way in which God speaks to us today. The writer of this letter is able to go back uh, to a psalm written a thousand years before him. And he's able to say that today of that thousand-year-old psalm was just as much today as when he was writing his letter, quoting that psalm that was a thousand years old. The word of God is fresh and effective and time does not affect its freshness. Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4 say, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Perhaps you've had the experience of watching, going back to watch a TV show, that is many years old, or a movie that you loved a long time ago, you were quite a lot younger, maybe one from childhood. And it's a very disappointing experience sometimes to go back and watch that. Uh, YouTube allows us to now you know, hunt down any show that we used to watch as a child. And very often, you, you're disappointed because you realise that show hasn't aged very well. It's not as good as you remember it. Time has not been kind to that TV show. The word of God, however, remains as fresh and as lively as when it was first written. It is sharp like a sword. It's described as a double-edged sword, able to, to hack and cut, slash and tear. But it's also like a fine scalpel. It's able to do careful surgery. On the human soul, separating joints from marrow, judging, uncovering what is hidden in the human heart and mind. The Word of God is able to do this. And we, we are called, no matter what point in life we are up to, to keep listening to this Word. To keep on reading it, but not just reading it. To keep on reading it in order to obey it. To keep on having hearts that are sensitive to the surgery that God's word is seeking to do on our hearts and lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the words of scripture which testify to him. And we pray that whatever point in life we are up to, whatever we have experienced and whatever weariness perhaps we are feeling. We ask, Father, that you might help us to continue to hold on to Jesus, to continue to be shaped by your living and active word, so that we may continue to press on towards the rest that you have in store for us. Heavenly Father, deal graciously with each of us, for you know our struggles. We pray that you might continue to help us to press on in our faith in you. And we ask it in Jesus' name.